Hey guys, Trent Smoker from Clear Grain Exchange here. Happy to be joining the Ag Watchers team. Long time listener, first time caller. Can't wait. Easy, but but Trent, Trent, I want to pull you up on something. You say you're keen to be here, but, <laughs> but what did the email say? It said keen's a strong word, but I'll go on. Keen is a strong word. No, happy to be here. Always happy to be involved when you are involved, Andrew. Well, well, we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure some of Andrew's escapades will come up as we progress through the podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's the first time actually we've had two of my bosses on the podcast. What? Thanks for everything. Well, well, I think I, I tra- actually I tra- actually owe the ag industry an apology because I was a resume from a Scottish guy landed on my desk when he'd freshly emigrated, and I naively said yes. And, and here that, we are. And here we are. <laughs> That's me. So anyone that complains about all the shit that I say and do. Send you, send you complaints through Trent Smoker. Clear the grade. genesis is Trent Smoker. So. Yes. If only it had got started in mining, imagine what would have happened. Maybe we're lucky to have you in Ag. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Oh, we'll go into the uh, Sixth Sense. Yep. So we're going to give you a psychological test. Excellent. We're going to make sure that you're all... All okay. Maybe you should have done this to me 13 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> then then where would we be? We would have no Andrew Whitler on the Ag Watchers podcast. There'd be no uh, good just, quality just, grains analysis. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, so we're going to throw six words or phrases at you. Mm-hmm. You give us the first thing that comes to mind, mm-hmm. and then we'll assess whether you are capable of staying on the podcast or whether you should be uh, sectioned. Can't wait. Right. Matt's going to keep the count because we have to note it down because counting up to six is too hard to do mentally. Um, Matt, you go first. Grain marketing. Uh, outdated. Complicated. Rocks footwear. Ooh, making a comeback and strangely good. Yeah. Haggis. No. That's fair enough. Online trading. A very broad term, but hugely valuable. Andrew Whitelaw. Oh, complicated. Uh, um warm but challenging that's that's actually i really I, 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 I want to throw that i want to throw that one back to matt now i want to say uh, like you can have a six sense question i want to i want the same response i want you to describe uh, me why don't we actually make this the andrew whitelaw episode we'll just, <laughs> we'll just talk about me for an hour my specialist yeah. subject and then for the next hour we'll talk about what we think of you yeah <laughs> Well, you're throwing me and Andrew Whitelaw at six cents. I would yeah. say funny, funny and intelligent. I would say Matt's got fucking very bad. Oops, I mean, uh, Matt's got very uh, bad judgment. <laughs> bad judgment. Uh, <laughs> last one, last one. Last one, last one. Uh, risk management for grain farmers. Um, to reference an earlier term, complicated, um, but required and far easier than... I think they think it is. So you've described every answer you've given, whether it's me 
or Graham Markering has been involved complicated? Well, I think, <laughs> mate, I think that's the world, right? I mean, we like to give ourselves phrases or, uh, you know, ideologies, as I say it, where we hide behind some complexity as a reason to give us um, self-worth. When I think the reality is you break down a whole heap of this stuff. It's actually incredibly simple. It's intuitive. It's um, simple business management. And I think everyone, like, and I'm speaking obviously a little bit here to some of the terms which are related to grain um, selling, but I think everyone who runs a farming operation easily has the capabilities to, um, you know, to excel. Um, but it's all about mindset, right? I mean, if you... So, so, try- so going back to it again, you're saying I'm complicated, but in reality, I'm actually quite simple. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your your complications is is about what your uh, was more about the person who landed on the doorstep thirteen years ago. But no, exactly right. I mean, um, people incredibly incredibly simple underneath. I mean, you know, you look at the work you've done, Andrew. I mean, it's simple motivations, right? You're motivated by um, you know really simple things. Which are, let's just try and make some of these markets more efficient. The more we know about it, the more knowledge we've got. Um, which, by the way, is not complicated stuff. All right, come on, suddenly, come on. Suddenly. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really complex. It's really complex. To, agricultural markets are incredibly complex. Collins, you, like, you can't do it. This just like just use us. Like It's too complex for the individual. Yeah, sorry. Revenues are on the down. Yeah, no, sorry. I shouldn't <laughs> do that. But, uh, no, I mean, I think obviously there's a you know there's expertise and knowledge required. But I think, yeah, I mean, I'm making some generalizations here mate but yeah that's um so let's let's well, for a minute we'll stop talking about me yeah just just for a minute we will we'll come, come we'll come back to that we'll circle back uh t- tell us about tell us about i know you like i've known you for a long time trent but tell us who you are what where you come from what you do what's your what's your role at, at, at clear grain yeah so my current role at clear grain i'm the general manager um so yeah so my background is um I, yeah, I'm, so I'm from a farming family in, in the wheat belt of Western Australia. Um, I spent um, a lot of my career to date um, was working with Cargill um, in various formats. And so early doors, that's when I met Andrew and uh, we were doing those things. So been involved in the grains industry for um, quite some time and through some interesting times. So I started, mm. um, I started just when... Um, uh, the wheels were starting to fall off for the AWB and the single desk and then sort of lived through that, you know, the here and now of the Royal Commission, um, you know, the single desk coming down. Cargill obviously acquired the AWB business after that um, that happened. So, yeah, I lived through that, um, including in that was a move to, move to Melbourne. So um, I moved my family, well, it wasn't family then, just my wife and I, to um to Melbourne, we spent eleven years in Melbourne. I was working for it was as long as eleven years. Yeah, yep. So um, yeah, so a lot of that time was with Cargill. I then went and um, uh, jumped out of grain and went um, and sold pasture seed for a little while. So um, after you know being in broadacre farming, trying to kill ryegrass, I then was making money selling ryegrass. <laughs> So that was an interesting uh, interesting paradox. But um, yeah, loved that time. Seed industry and the pasture seed industry in particular, amazing space, so mm. much upside. Australia's doing some amazing things in that sector and often we don't think about that. Um, but, yeah, doing some amazing stuff. There's some amazing businesses, amazing people and the trends, like you think about 
um, like the trend that's taking place in that sector, you know, on the back of obviously it's changing a bit now, but when I was there, the trend was farmers were going from doing nothing with their pastures to doing something. And the step change gain out of that in terms of farm output was, um, you know, was enormous. And so the industry was was sort of booming. So, yeah, I did that for a little while and then, um, yeah, and then I've come across to Clear Grain Exchange. So Nathan Cattle, the managing yep. director of Clear Grain Exchange, is a good mate of mine. Um, so, yeah, come across to Clear and move the family back to the west, obviously a post-COVID Melbourne, um, mm. you know, keen to get out of there. And so, yeah, now at Clear Grain Exchange, I think, um, yeah, and so my role, you know, at the moment, our business is um, scaling up. We've moved past being a startup. We're scaling up. There are a number of different things underway. Um, you know, my role is really about making sure that we're doing the very best we can in the day-to-day um, so that we can add some efficiency to the grain market. So, yeah, mate, and, that's and my background. parents are still on the farm? Uh, so my brother's running the farm. Mum and dad still live on the farm, yeah. Brother's so, Brad, is it? Brad's, brother's, brother's Brad. Brad's yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, so he's got that. And, um, no, so he's obviously enjoying it back there. Love being a bit closer now and getting back there. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's great to be involved. Uh, we've got a, you know, very defined purpose here about adding value to the farm gate is what we're trying to do at Clear Grain Exchange and that aligns with, you know, being around farms and stuff. So it's great to be there. Yeah. Because I, I, I remember that was the, the first farm I visited in Australia. It was your farm. Was it? There you go. Remember that? 2010, we did a road trip. There you go. We should chalk that up to another one of my mistakes. See, I took I, him to a farm and I gave him a job. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember I remember you looked quite offended. You said, don't say that to my mum and dad. When uh, <laughs> when uh, we were in the paddock and I said, geez, this looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like Africa, I think I said. That was like 2010 was that really bad year. And it was yeah. just washout after washout after washout. But that was that. That was a good experience for me. Like it was like for me, it was completely eye-opening. Like I'd never seen such open ground in my yeah. life because we're all hilly in Scotland. So. The the biggest you said a bit of a mistake. You think allowing him into the country, giving him a job, Trent. But um, I think not so much the the hiring, but the keeping him on after the three month or the six month uh, probation period probably was the demonstrated the you know the worst error. Yeah. Given I'd seen something and not acted on it, yeah, probably. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone can not be sure at the resume stage or the interview, first interview stage, but once you've been around him for a number of months, it's you know you kind of you've got no excuse then, have you? No, I don't. But I mean, I, to be serious for a moment, I will go back to something the comment you made with your word association, Matt. You did mention intelligent. I think at the time, one thing that struck me about Andrew was he was just sponge like it was just there was so much going on in the industry at that time you mentioned washouts um you know we were post deregulation but um to say everyone had it figured out was probably a bit naive so there's just so much going on there's so much to learn so in my defense he was probably just too busy soaking it all in to uh to show his true self yeah it took me it took me like i'll i'll be honest back then i was quite a shy person you still are you you still are a little bit yeah what what happened (laughs) All the cocaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I'm just j- I'm just joking. Everyone just knows. Say, everyone say, everyone knows we're analysts. And we can't afford cocaine. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> right. Say no to drugs, kids. I, uh, just say no. Uh, no, you're right though. That was an exciting time in the greens industry. Like two, when was it? 2010. 
I arrived. Mm. And that was two years out post deregulation and everything was changing. There was so many buyers. There was growers didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do. And it was just, that was exciting. It was way more exciting than being in the grains industry in the UK, which is 500 years old. Nothing's changed. Still, <laughs> still the same guy working there for 500 years. So, but tell us, uh, you guys recently purchased iGrain. So mm-hmm. yes. iGrain, Western Australia, probably not many people know about iGrain, but big-ish in the East Coast, but quite heavily into X Farm and delivered sort of grain. Tell, tell us what the, how does that gel with clear grain, which has always been sort of that exchange-based, you know, more like a, like a, a burst type of exchange with iGrain, which has got a lot of, you know, more, uh, modifiable components with it being X farm, a lot of X farm and a lot of delivered. How's that going to work? And yeah, tell us about tell us about the purchase. So I think um, you know, so we've certainly had plenty of feedback from um, you know CGX users over the time saying, "Hey, we love what you do. You know, we'd really be interested in you venturing into the um, into the on farm space." So something was on our radar. Exactly how it looked and what it was going to look like for our entry point wasn't necessarily clear uh, i think the acquisition gave us an opportunity to um i thought that was going to be a pun there when you said it wasn't very clear i was yeah. expecting you know i'll try and avoid the puns mate that's your domain not mine um but no i think so opportunity with the iGrain was you know tom and the team there had you know there'd been a lot of thinking go into that business and how they'd created it um you know and some learnings as well being taken on board in terms of what they had there so an opportunity for us to um, to jump in and into that space and get started. I think when you boil it down to the to the absolute, um, you know, the, the, the simplicity of it all, the philosophy is the same. Uh, Clear Grain Exchange is about farmers, sellers, offering their grain for sale to all buyers and trying to encourage as many buyers as we can into the industry, creates efficiency, creates sustainability. And so the iGrain premise, you know, is very, very similar. It's exactly the same, trying to create as many buyers as we can, as easy for as many buyers as we can to get in, buy, grow a grain, create sustainability by having more buyers trying to buy grain, and we also create efficiency and transparency. So the philosophy is exactly the same. Andrew, as you rightly pointed out, the mechanics of how they work for the transactions Mm. of the on-farm grain versus the mechanics of the warehouse grain transactions are very different. Um, albeit, um, you know, we believe that, you know, we like everything, it's a bit polar. We think there's a continuum and we think we can make some advances in terms of how the iGrain um, market operates to make it, to, to leverage the best of CGX. So I think from the CGX point of view, you know, we have a lot of learnings in CGX and the NZX history with CGX around how to operate markets. And so what we're, the phase we're in at the moment with iGrain is, you know, a bit of a renovation, bringing some of the best ideas from CGX mm-hmm. across there. And I think if I'll, I'll reference, I might reference the security piece because um, it, it explains that continuum quite nicely um, and sort of where we're thinking, you know, like obviously clear grain exchange for warehouse grain, um, you know, we have our secure settlement feature, meaning the buyers and sellers are protected all the way through, you know, whereas on the other end, a completely unprotected um, on-farm grain transaction with because that, that's been the that's been the risk. Like on X Farm on the East Coast, it's not the big guys. They always, I remember having a discussion with someone who was saying, "Oh, I think it was Cargill at the time I was with. Oh, the fourteen days payment is too short. We need two days payment." 
And I was like, yeah. yeah, but then you're selling to some bloody dairy cocky, you know, with 40 days payment because they're paying you an extra $3 a ton. And that's yeah. and that's a risk on X Farm is those those smaller cockies and whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's a continuum of being completely unprotected. Um, you know, one of the things that iGrain does have, which, you know, helps us move along that is a is a um is a unique uh credit insurance policy mm-hmm. whereby uh Clear Grain Exchange is the principal on that policy, but all the users of the iGrain market can be beneficiaries on that. Yep. And so I think if you think of it in a continuum, you know, completely unprotected at one end and and CGX secure sentiment at the other, you know, there's an opportunity for us to start to step the eye grain, um, you know, closer to being more protected than you would otherwise be. Um, you know, and if you think about that, like that's just one thing we're talking there about credit insurance and, you know, protection for sellers, <clears throat> make sure that sellers get paid. Like that's one aspect. You think about other aspects of that on-farm grain market, I think there's a number of things that, you know, if you think of it in that continuum from a CGX point of view, we're thinking about how we innovate on that continuum to get it closer to CGX. It may never replicate CGX, but we can try and, um, you know, get some of the best of that into that space and try and create, you know, efficiency, more security, um, transparency, try and get more buyers in there. Um, and try and generate the benefit for whole of industry that we think we've got the runs on the board to show that we've been able to demonstrate um, via CGX. When was the actual takeover? How long ago now have you been kind of controlling iGrain? Yeah, mate. So 1st of July was the um, was the transaction date. So we've had it for, yeah, coming up six months. So that's early, that's early early days then at the moment. Like, is it still, like, are you, you going to integrate in together are, as are, a... Are you going to rebrand it? Because iGrain, like, every company is an I something. Last week we had somebody I inputs on the podcast. Yeah. You know. I did see that, yes. Um, it's interesting. So uh, I'm not sure, like, I, I think we... There's a very iGrain brand at the moment. So. White Laws Bazaar. Smoker's yeah. Shop. <laughs> You won't see my name on any of it, mate. I'll give you the red hot tip um, per my comments about coming on here. But um, <laughs> no, I think I think there's an opportunity for us to make it more seamless for our users. I think we'll look at any way that we can do that moving forward. I mean, Matt, I think your point is exactly right. We're six months in. Um, there's been such an incredible amount of learning, mm. adapting. I'd say that, you know, at six months, and as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at a, you know, a whiteboard where there's a lot of ideas written up. I think... We're starting to get ahead around now what um, what the future looks like, and then we're able to step through starting to implement that. But yeah, it'll be about uh, some of the things I you know that people have, um, you know would know and um, have experience with CGX. Hopefully, is simplicity, you know, easy to use, clean, um, you know, paperwork. Some of those things that just make their life easier, um, and that there's some of the things that we're thinking about trying to do and bring diagram. So like. Trent, the two of us used to be grain bars, effectively, yeah, for a long time. Yes. What, what, like, it's sort of to me that was one of the reasons I stopped wanting to become a grain bars because I could see things like clear coming, and I was like, ain't going to be a job for me in the future. So I'm going to have to find something that will hopefully last me another year or two until I retire. Mm-hmm. But what, what, what are the sort of, is there any sort of challenges? in that sort of system? Is, it, what, is there any feedback from people? What's the, the challenges to introducing clear or iGreen? What is the sort of the feedback? Yeah, mate. So I think, 
our objective is to create efficiency for the market. Um, and if you think about the core value proposition of a of a grain buyer or a grain trader, you know, it's connecting markets into significantly different places, i.e. potentially Australia with an export market overseas. Mm-hmm. It's connecting those two dots from a, you know, I think supply chain is the easiest way to explain that, road, rail, ocean freight. The buyer's key objective is connecting those dots in the simple and most efficient way um, and being rewarded for the risks that they're taking along the way there. I mean, that's the pure definition of what, that's true. go back to, you know, you and I used to work for Cargo, mate. You go back to the Cargo bloke that started it in the, very, you know, that was what he was doing. He's connecting, you know, sellers in one spot with buyers in another spot. Mr. 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 Cargo was Scottish as well, remember? Yeah, he was. Macmillan Cargo. So, um, so, mate, so I think, so, so back to your point, I think um, our objective is to make our objective is to make the buyer's life easier as well. Like we, um, you know, by having firm offers on screen, it makes the buyer's job easier to know what volume is available and at what price. And, you know, at times it can be difficult to price. You know, you look at some of the dynamics this year in the West, there's a, I mean, I've lost track of the number of new grades in inverted commas. I mean, they're not new, but. <laughs> the different types of grades are being delivered by growers. It's a difficult job for buyers and sellers as well, but for buyers and sellers to know how to price that particular grade. We've been so reliant on the buyer solving that for us. And I think the opportunity that CGX provides is the sellers can now have a play in that. We can get a two-sided market mm-hmm. and it makes the buyer's job easier. So mate, we would say, you know, we think we can add efficiency to everyone. If you go back to the core um, you know, the core of what we're doing, I think, you know, the buyers are always going to have a role. There is always going to be supply chain management trying to move commodities from A to B. Um, you know, we're just hoping that we can create some efficiency there. And, mate, the other thing is, like, and unashamedly, we want to make it as easy for as many buyers as we can to get access to that. So if the market can be more efficient and there's an opportunity for new buyers, then we want to make that as easy as possible for them to get in and be part of that. So if they can move it from A to B more efficiently than others, then they should be the ones, um, you know, doing that. You mentioned at, at the outset with regards to grain marketing, I think was one of the phrases we started with on the Sixth Sense, and you said out, outdated was your first descriptor of grain marketing. Do you want to give us a bit more of a background to what you mean by that and what, what, why you feel it's, um, it's not keeping up to the current times? Yeah, Matt, thanks for picking up on that. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm uh, like I'm, I'm not as experienced as others who are in the industry, but to me, grain marketing was a term that just exploded, you know, circa the time that Andrew and I were reminiscing about before, you know, late 2000s, you know, early, you know, early into, you know, the 2010s, you know, in that 12, 15 time dynamic. I think. Um, there was almost a whole industry that was sort of born out of, you know, trying to make, trying to solve this grain marketing issue for farmers. And I think that in that process, there was a, you know, a number of things happened that, you know, for my, my perception, at least anyway, is that a grower now, when they hear grain marketing, switches off. A, well, they switch off or there's a bit of a shudder of anxiety or they're thinking, you know, it's you know, it's almost like something where they're like, "Oh, Jesus, I don't really want to go there." 
It's oh. such a, it's such a, the green marketing is such a term that's been thrown around, but I don't think there's any green marketing in Australia. Like I think it's a, it's a, well, there is, that's, that's a lie, but it's, it's a term that, you know, somebody taking your grain and selling it to someone else is not green marketing. That's correct. Transactional grain breaking, breaking. Broking. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah. but green marketing, it makes it sound sexier, but I think it's now a null and void term. Yeah, right. so at Clear Grain Exchange, we use the term grain selling because we think so that, that clearly articulates it. And it's actually a simple scenario. As a seller, like all sellers, the only thing you've got to decide is what price am I willing to part with my asset for? Now, you can bring in all sorts of information points into that conversation before you decide that. But yeah. ultimately, that's your only decision. And then once you've made that decision, then you go about executing it. Um, Does that, from from the perspective of that, like if you then term that broader idea of grain marketing as opposed to grain selling or grain brokering, which is the way you want to phrase it, does grain marketing or, or does the concept of that bring in the the idea also of some type of use of deriv- der- yeah, derivatives or forward, okay. forward markets or forward selling? Like it's a bit, it's not just, you know, figuring out to sell well, your if, grain. If, it's if, also, I think if you start using like proper risk management techniques, and then that is verging on green marketing, even though I still don't like that term green marketing, but they're not used. Like you did a, you did your honors thesis on risk management, Trent, a long time yeah. ago. Yes. No, 20 years ago. Yeah. But is that why, is that why, is that, is that why, you know, you don't think it's really green marketing in, in, in a strict sense because most growers don't really avail themselves of those forward contracts or or proper kind of derivatives to hedge with? Yeah, Matt, I think, um, so I, I think, you know, so whilst I'm making some sweeping generalisations there, I think, you know. So it's, are, just, it's just between the three of us. <laughs> there are, I mean, there are absolutely people who um, who dive into some very complex and, and, and detailed, um, you know, plans around how they do manage their marketing and, and that may or may not involve derivatives, as you mentioned, Matt. I think the the point there is that um, uh, that the percentage of the market, and and I, I wouldn't, I don't come from a position where I can put numbers on that, but I'd say the percentage of people that are actually doing that, um, it would be small. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I reckon it's smaller than when I came to the country. Yeah, potentially. And I, and I think the other thing is that, like all things that are. Um, I don't necessarily use the word sophisticated, but when you when you are in derivatives or those kinds of things, there is an elevated sense of knowledge required. And I think when you are in that space um, and executing on that effectively, it does require energy and effort, um, and you know, and real solid management to make sure you. But, get the, the, but let's be honest, yeah. If you look back the last couple of years, you could be somebody who's spent a lot of effort and a lot of energy on risk management you know, hedging strategies, whatever else. And you might not do it any better than somebody who's just waited till harvest or sold a bit forward because the prices have been at such a good level, really. Like you've been rewarded from not really doing anything. Hold a bit after harvest and you'll be fine. You know, it's, we've been good. Yeah. Like we've had a really good time, really. Yeah. Last, I think last five a, years. Yeah, mate. I think there's a couple of things and uh, a couple of things have happened in the, in the market in the last, a uh, couple of years that have lended itself to that, and so one you referenced is, you know, the uh, the highest prices have been 
um, you know, available in and around that harvest window, which is generally when a lot of people have been, you know, considering selling. So that's been positive, um, you know, in terms of looking at the overall outcome achieved. I think the other thing is, you know, there's been no doubt and there's been lots and lots of commentary about this, you know, the movement of our typical derivative or sorry, I shouldn't say our typical, the historical derivative markets that the industry has looked to. Yeah, yeah are now moving in a way that their correlation to what's actually going on, you know, outside here or, you know, in, in the regional areas, um, you know, those correlations are changing. And so the simplistic nature of, hey, I understand my farm and my grain and therefore, um, you know, well, I think I can I can be involved in a, in a futures market. That kind of philosophy now is, you know, there's well, so many other factors. Well, if you think of how many people got burnt a couple of years ago, not necessarily burnt, but they felt they got burnt maybe two years ago, a lot in Western Australia, by swap positions when the view was that basis could never be negative. <coughs> and then all of a sudden, we have some pretty big harvests and the rest of the world blows up and then everyone's underwater on them. And that burnt people. And people still got memories of risk assist. Was that the name? 2008. Yeah, yeah. Interest rate swaps in the 1980s. Swiss mortgage interest swaps. Mm. People still remember that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it puts them off. So, man, I think, you know, in general, um, you know, like, so there are some sectors that are using that and, and, you know, if you have the knowledge and power, you know, to understand what's going on, then by all means they're effective. But I think in general, you know, the trend that we would certainly say is that, you know, the, the search for simplicity, the search for being able to execute it in a really simple way, um, you know, more and more people are, are using that and, and harnessing that. And and if you can do that effectively, as you said, if you do that effectively, the prices have been been rewarding of that. So, you know, we end up with some recency bias here and following what's worked in the most recent times and it may not work in the future. We don't know that, but I think that's... No, absolutely. Things, that's a, the key thing. Things change. But Clear's been around for a long time now, hasn't it? In reality, yeah, like correct. 12 years, 13 years, maybe even longer? Longer than that, mate. Yeah, so originally 2008, um in its first incarnation um but obviously uh the new uh the ownership structure that we're currently operating on you know with a few tweaks yep. kicked off in 2016 yeah that's right yeah. um so to use um to use you know to use a taylorism you know the the you know our version uh you know really kicked off in in 2016 so do you know it's who gone. taylor swift is andrew no i do actually do you want to know a story about taylor swift and it, and it revolves we're, around... we're, we're gonna hear it we're gonna hear it whether we want to anyway so you've not got no choice i'm the one that holds the recorder uh, taylor swift used to be dating a guy from my hometown mighty yours i played football against him i'm pretty sure uh calvin harris do you know do you know what calvin harris is trent i don't know so calvin don't try and bloody age bloody thing with me and music taste in me i'm down with the people <laughs> Matt, do you know who Calvin Harris is? Got no idea who Calvin Harris is, Andrew. You know, you know who Taylor Swift is? Just marginally. Do you know oh, yeah, who? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna balls this up now. There's some footballer. Well, like oh, an I was a rule footballer. Nah, nah. The trivia. Travis Kelsey. Matt Trent is. He's done with the pop culture. That's the that's the NFL guy. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that Taylor Swift was in a. In the box with her mum or his mum or something at one of the games that was I, out not long ago. I honestly don't think I would know a single Taylor Swift song. Is that she did the one Umbrella? No, no. 
Was Wrecking Ball one of his? No. Okay. <laughs> We better uh, stop now. Let's, 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 let's stick to agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> who, who was wrecking, who's wrecking balls? One that was Rihanna. Ah, oh, was it? Okay, yeah. I thought it was Taylor Swift. They well, all we, sound the same. They all well, sound the same to me. You can't see that. It's twenty twenty three. Jeez, we're going to get cancelled because of your sexism and misogyny. <laughs> no, I meant that kind of R and B type music. Out Taylor, of the Taylor Swift's country for a start. Is she? Yeah. She's not no. very R&B. Mm. And Rihanna's rap. Right, yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. I've lost my train of thought. Matt, you have a, you say something. <laughs> but, oh, we'll go back. Well, actually, we'll go back to the... Uh, well, I was a bit, a bit no, worried no, about... We'll go, like... we'll go back to the Sixth Sense questions. Uh, yeah. One of the comments that you made, Trent, was uh, that I was intelligent. So just carry on. No, yeah. that was what I, I said. I said that. <laughs> oh. No, but the I, other thing that you you I never had a nickname, yeah. And why? so I remember that uh, it was me, you, Demo, and Lisa. And Lisa's yeah. got a kid that's humongous now. Oh, really? um, anyway, um, we went to the pub in maybe Northbridge. Can't remember. Went for a curry anyway, and uh, they sat around for ages trying to work out a nickname for me. And I think it was Hedgehog that came up with. Dumfries. 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 So that was the closest I got to a nickname, Matt. Was that, well, I refer to you as Haggis sometimes when I'm talking about you to well, other that's, people. That's racist. But anyway. <laughs> so, 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 Clear Grain, though, like, what, like, there's a few competitors to Clear, Crop Connect, Daily Grain. But, like, what would you think is, you must have some sort of rough idea. What would you reckon would be like the market share of like online trading of grain? Like 10, 20%? Um, yeah, man, I think so. Uh, the actual number in terms of where it, where it lands, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to put a figure on it. I mean, those numbers are probably there and thereabouts. I, I think um, the as growers are getting more and more comfortable with the you know managing their stocks online mm. um you know like obviously wherever you deliver now you can see your grain as it's been delivered if you can um, get a signal if you can get a signal i think uh you know and then obviously you know there's the blending and the optimization and those kinds of tools that are available now and so the comfort around um around that kind of thing i think is growing Mate, I think, but if I if I'm honest, mate, I don't necessarily think that the online versus offline is a key is a key determinant of you know how people are um, hmm. you know deciding what to do and how to do it. I think the reality is you can use Clear Grain Exchange without um, without needing to log in. You know, like we've got a team here, support team. You know, you can you can use Clear Grain Exchange, which is uh, you know as a technology business, we're running. An exchange that's you know run by technology, we can use it without logging in, hmm. um, so to speak. So I think the online versus offline, you know, I think the reality is the you know growers are thinking more about you know the price thereafter, how they can have a say in that, um, you know, how they can avoid harvest pressure, you know, on prices, hmm. how they can use other things, uh, other information that's around there to try and 
maximize their their, their returns. And does it what do you th- like? We, sorry, sorry, Matt. Like we obviously in the past we used to look at growers selling, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you'd have that November, December, January was when the bulk of it was sold. A little bit pre-harvest. I, is it following the same pattern, like clear, as what we'd have in the traditional grower selling window? Or is it a bit more at post-harvest or what? Yeah, so I think, um, so from a CGX point of view, um, we, you know, our, our, our exchange markets are, you know, growers are able to offer um, ahead of harvest. Mm-hmm. Um you know, once they've got some clarity around um, their expected quality, you know, I'm going to yeah. produce some feed barley whether I like it or not. Um, you know, at harvest, there's obviously still a lot of activity in the market at harvest. Um, you know, it's a key time for grower selling, but it's also a time when buyers are highly engaged. And so there is absolutely opportunity in that harvest window rather than, you know, hitting bids and hitting numbers that buyers are just putting out there. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity to ask for something because, all buyers have their antenna up. They're all active. They're all trying to figure out what's going on with the quality. Where's the, um, you know, where's what I need? How can I figure that out? And so having grain on offer across that harvest period is definitely, definitely, uh, you know, there's some value for the sellers there. I think, you know, and then those post-harvest windows, if I was to reflect on, you know, where the grow is at and how that order flow, you know, has been happening, I think the last few years we've had, you know, exceptional production. I mean, mm. this, year, this year remains to be quantified in terms of the actual outcome, albeit it's, it's not still going to be decent. Yeah, and you rewind like the three prior to that, right? There was some significant production, so mm. the outcome there has been growers have become more comfortable carrying grain, more comfortable asking for a price on their grain, and and waiting for that to um, that to take place, and using other mechanisms to manage their cash flow. In and around that, I guess. I guess that's the thing as well. Like growers are, like I'll be told off for saying this, but growers are probably a bit more cashed up than they've ever been. And they'll tell me you can't say that because we're all poor. Um, but the the reality is that that is the case. Like no, like I think a lot less people are forced sellers now than they might have been 10, 15 years ago. Uh, we've come off three pretty good years, uh, plus another average year. So I wonder if that, that does make the difference. I've always said to growers, never be a forced seller. But I've said to buyers, never be a forced buyer either. You've got to sort of, it's the worst yeah. case you can be in. But maybe that is, is partially as well, is that people are willing to take the time to take a price rather than to say, I'll take whatever is at this cash at silo, or which I've always found so strange when I came to, well, when I came to West Eastern Australia, that's what I found most strange was how many people were taking cash at silo. Yeah, so I think, mate, if that's the outcome, like if the three years of um, broad balance sheet building, which, you know, it's your words, not mine, so I'm not making a comment on the equity being built here. but Just just between the three of us. <laughs> um, you know, I think if the outcome of that is that we have buyers and sellers, or, you know, particularly sellers here because we're referencing, you know, farmers, if we have sellers who are in a position to not be a forced seller, then mm-hmm. that is a fantastic outcome for our industry. Um, you know, I think that really will, you know, help us, you know, keep driving that efficiency in the market, driving the two sides of the market. Every market has an offer and a bid side. Mm-hmm. And the more visibility we can bring to that, the the better off we'll be. If, if I'm a, a user of Clear, yeah, mm. could I be a buyer and then transact as a seller as well? Like, can you have trade-to-trade transactions? Uh, you most certainly can, yes. Can you? Is that always so been the case, or? 
Is that new? Yeah. Yep. No, that's definitely that's been the case um, for some time now. So yeah, uh, obviously there's requirements around being registered as a buyer on yeah, exchange. Yeah. You've got governance steps. You know, you need to have um, certain things in place so you can take title of the grain. But there's but, nothing. But, but cargo, stopping, cargo can sell to Louis Dreyfus or any other company. Stopping a yeah a buyer um, reoffering that grain on there. And so you know, if you think about our objective here, Andrew, our objective is to create efficiency. And so. If the market's operating in a way where um, a seller, no matter who that is, whether it's a grower or a or a trade seller in inverted commas or you know a buyer, yeah. it sees value in uh, selling grain at a level that someone else is buying, and it drives liquidity, it drives transparency and price discovery. That's a great thing for everyone. Yeah, yeah. No, what, I don't, do don't realise that was the case. Okay. What do you think um, in terms of like you mentioned about the market share or the estimates around market share of online? Grain transactions. What do you think the barriers are that are that are kind of stopping that from from growing? You know, the use of the online platform, whether it's through the buyer or the seller, are there are there key aspects you think that are that are you know making people you know less reluctant or, or reluctant to try it? You know, less 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 keen to try it. Um, I don't know whether there's any. I mean, as with everything, Matt, it's um, you know it's a it's adoption it's understanding the you know the why underneath like what what's the benefit to me uh you know and what are we actually trying to do here um you know and so you know that comes back to all adoption right i mean this is not sort of restricting this to clear grain exchange and or anything that's happening around uh, you know our business or the, the grain marketing sector but adoption comes down to the 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 grower understanding you know, what's in it for me and what's the why? Like, what's my emotional hook here to making that happen? And then naturally with everything, it then becomes about um, about ongoing adoption, behavioural change, which is challenging. Um, you know, again, that's an adoption statement, not necessarily something restricted to... No, it's, to it's everything. Change. You know, it's, it's all those things. So is there, are there any barriers? You know, I would say there's the natural barriers that around... Um, you know, reception and all those kinds of things. But I actually think that that's part of the reason why solutions like and some of the like um, exchanges like Clear Grain Exchange, you know, are really valuable. Like at night, at home, 11.30 p.m. with your Wi-Fi, you can set your selling price for grain. And then tomorrow when you're 45 k's the other way with dodgy phone reception, you'll get your text message come through with one bar of data saying grain sold. You know, so rather than trying to, you know, find bids on your phone and all that kind of stuff. So, so the, you know, the, I think the technology could overstated at times as well. A, te- a technical question about clear. I was just thinking mm-hmm. there, yeah. We've seen some pretty volatile times the last 12 months, yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably most volatile times in our careers, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yours is long. Matt's longer than ours. So excellent. Like he can remember the tulips in Holland. Yeah, uh, no, that, was a, that was an interesting time, the old tulip boom. Uh, but let's say, for instance, uh, Jimmy the farmer, he puts 11 o'clock at night, he puts his offer on on clear. He said, I want to sell my canola for $720 a ton. I'm happy with that price. But then let's say he's fallen asleep. He's uh, He wakes up in the morning. He sleeps in because he's had some whiskey. You know, he's had a late night of it. So he wakes up at midday. This is actually the story of Matt Douglas, but anyway, wakes up at mid <laughs> mid midday because he's missed a conference that he was supposed to go to. Um, <laughs> but the the Putin's blown up a 
sunflower crushing plant in eastern Ukraine and the market for oil seeds goes through the roof and mm-hmm. that 720 looks like an attractive price because it's pushed up to $900 a ton in the in the rest of the market is there a mechanism there because he might put it as good till cancelled yeah yep uh, is there a mechanism that says if we have big fluctuations in the market that that does that bid does that offer stay there or how does that operate yeah so 100% so when the seller puts an offer um into our market uh, when the market's open which is between 10am eastern and 8:30pm eastern that offer is firm and can trade at any time in market hours. Mm-hmm. So we'd always say to a seller, um, if in doubt, offer higher because that offer is firm and it can trade immediately once that yeah. market's open. So we would be, the the education would be pushing back to that seller is if 720 is your number, then... Um, be happy with it. Be happy with it. And if you're unsure, offer higher. Offer 750 because there's no downside. No one knows it's you. And if the market does spike, you can always bring it down later. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, mate, we do distribute. Um, so yeah, Jimmy slept in because he'd had too much whiskey, but um, we do. Just, just call out, him Matt. It's fine. <laughs> we, 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 do, we do send out a, a market open report, um, which goes out an hour before the market opens with a summary of overnight market moves yep. of a number of, of international markets. And... Um, market commentary is available via that source as well. Oh, episode um, three, Twitter account. And so, oh, so don't guess, don't go plugging bloody competitors to us. No, no. Well, everyone, <laughs> the, the intent there, mate, is that everyone can get involved because in the industry, the more information we have out there, the more efficient we are. But the objective there, mate, is that um, there's something pushed out to say, hey, if you want to review your offer, you know, it's an hour until market opens. Now's the time to do it. So if you sleep in, you're going to miss that chance. But if you're like most farmers, you're not going to be up, uh, you know, too much later than 6.30. So there's plenty of opportunity there to to review that ahead of time. And again, you know, if I'm sure off or higher, you can always react. Oh, you've, you've always not had a night out with Matt. <laughs> That's <laughs> usually getting in at about 6.30. <laughs> yeah, right. I can't uh, do that anymore. I'm too old. Uh, Trent. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Um, the... I'm trying to think of anything else because that, that was a question. That was the thing I've always sort of thought, but clear is that if the market did spike, but it, again, it's just the responsibility of keeping an eye on the market and not staying up late at the Harrismith Oasis. Yeah. And I think the thing there is like, if you're a willing seller at, um, you know, 720 or 750 to use your example, Andrew, and you're happy with that and the market spikes and that gets taken out, rather than viewing that as a missed opportunity, that's an opportunity where, hey, I'm so like whatever happened overseas. If it's bombing, that's not great. But you know, if there's a um, innocuous market move that's meant that your offer price gets taken out, then that is a that's a that's good news, right? That's the market's <clears> moved <throat> in my favour. I've got my offer done. That was a price I'm happy with. That's great. And we move on. Well, that's the thing. I always like I, that's the one thing that surprised me coming to Australia, even in that drought year, was when you talk to farmers here, and especially in Western Australia. They were always selling in big licks, like really big contract sizes. Whereas in Scotland, it was all small contract sizes. So if the market rose and you just sold something, it's like, well, who cares? I've got way more to sell. And I guess that's the thing. If you're selling on clear, sell 5%. How, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Exactly. Well, that's, it I doesn't told you that, did I? Probably. Doesn't that, doesn't that come Trent, back to Trent, you? Trent, you taught me everything I know. So. Yeah, that's it. Almost everything. Almost. Um, 
It doesn't that come back to you then that your marketing strategy though? Like your grand, like if you are, are you are you just doing fifty percent or twenty percent or thirty percent at a time and just doing a handful of trades, or are you doing smaller allotments and trying to average you, out uh, a bit uh, better? Because I know that Trent really likes. He in the past really used to like pools, so I guess that's the thing. It's that you can use it to run your own pool. You, you yeah. could you, you could have you could have, I just spitball. You could have a thousand tons. And then you could enter 20 contracts or 20 offers on clear at different levels. Yeah. So, Matt, uh, um, you know, maybe to clarify the, the grain marketing versus grain selling conversation, you know, when, when you are grain selling, you absolutely still need to have a plan. Um, you know, you can't blindly sell everything at, on one day and hope that you're going to get the best possible outcome. Um, I guess the, you know, to that point, um, you know, like GRDC's got some information out there. You know, it's it, it's there's some really simple summaries of what a simple plan would look like. You know, it's it, it's taking opportunities when you believe there's value there in pre-harvest markets to get enough forward sold to cover your harvest cash flow requirements. So as we discussed before, you're not a forced seller at harvest. It's then you know, working out what target prices are going to generate margins on the back of um, on of what you're after and, and setting that. It's working out what grades to sell um, when they're in demand, you know, and like so grades are attracting strong premiums are best sold at harvest when people are chasing those premiums and grades that are heavily discounted are best, are best held. It's allocating the contracts correctly and getting the right grades allocated to the right contracts. It's then setting offer prices being clear on that and to your point andrew clear grain exchange minimum offers four tons so you know you can if it's, 50 it's four ton tons lot, as much as that yeah it's 50 ton lot so you know you can get you can get them up in the lots you want to get the average price you want or the target you know what you want there so you still gotta have a grain selling plan the point is that grain selling plan um need not be complicated grdc's got some information out there um i know, you know i know another website that's got some information as well um strategies but i don't like to plug things it's not it's not a sales platform trent um, <laughs> the uh yeah yeah like i i think it's it's an interesting sort of movement and we we've got a a few discussions in the next week or two do we matt with other not competitors to you but like mm-hmm. i don't think but in in a sort of similar vein but we've going to be talking to online livestock <laughs> Uh, yep. transaction companies because um, I think like I guess it's just another tool it's just another way of managing it's a management sort of uh, strategy uh, reduces the transactions changes it makes it easy yeah I think I mean Matt can speak more to livestock market but I mean anything that creates um, transparency makes it easier for buyers and easier for sellers and and therefore is generating efficiencies you know it's great for everyone are we going? Are we going to see clear livestock? I was just—that's what that was my next question. Are you going to? Are you going to branch out into horticulture or inputs or anything like we had the inputs fella on last time? That's trying to build an inputs platform for online transactions as well. Do you, are, you, are you looking at things outside of kind of grains? Yeah, so I think the um, so I think the technology is great. Um, I think uh, you know it, it could have wide applicability. The reality is. We've got so much more we think we can do in grain. We know grain well. You know, iGrain, we discussed that. You know, there's so much opportunity there. 
So we're sticking to our knitting um, because there's so much work to do. The tech is such a small part of um, of the business and of creating the change. And so if you think about that, like those other markets, yeah, buy and sell tech whilst the tech is, you know, um, significant intellectual property. It's, uh, the, it's the ability to actually, it's the education extension, which is bigger probably. Mate, it is industry change and it is driving, you know, and it is getting all aspects, understanding that efficiency in this industry is good for everyone. It makes buyer's job easier, it makes a seller's job easier, it makes an agent's job more efficient if they're acting on behalf of a seller or a buyer. Um, you know, so it's creating that change, getting people on board and making and creating the behavioural change we discussed before in terms of the adoption. Creating that in an industry is far more significant than simply piecing the technology together with a market which could do well, we, like We've seen that like we've done a fair bit in ag tech and ag tech advisory, that type of thing. And there's so many people that come out with, I've got this fantastic idea. And you're like, yeah, we still got to get people to use it. And it's hard to get people to use new technologies or even worse, new ideas. The technology is fine. It's the new ideas that people struggle with. And I think that's why there's probably how many dozen fantastic inventions are sitting on a shelf in somebody's garage now because yeah. they didn't take off. And, and, just, and that's the thing with Clear. It's been a, like... God, it's been around, like you say, 2008. And it's only really, it only really feels like it's taken off since, well, since Nathan took over it, really, without blowing smoke up him. Like, oh, geez, that sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there were some pivotal changes made in 2016, right, that, that re repositioned the business for success. Yeah. But yeah. Anything else, Matt? Oh, just to, just to acknowledge, I guess, and, and, and thank Trent for um, his his um, you know, forward thinking of, of of bringing you across. Because just thinking without without Trent getting you across here in that first job, Andrew, there'd be no ag watches. There'd be no episode three. You know, there'd be and no. I, I can just hear the collective groans and <laughs> across the country. Now nobody's going. No, now, now nobody's going to use clear grain. They're going to be like, geez, no, there'll be protests be outside the office. There'd be no multiple AI-generated pictures asking for a caption to be put against <laughs> it on 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 X or Twitter or whatever it's called these days. There'd be none of that without you know without Trent. Trent. That's it. So Trent's like the Trent's like the creator of Ag Watches and the creator and then, of the And then there was light. So so yeah. so I'm like Jesus. You're like one of his <laughs> disciples, Matt, and Trent's God. <laughs> Uh, it's something like that. Yeah, that yeah. is a whole lot of carry on. No, no, he's a good man. You've done great things. It's been uh, it's been a great journey to to see, mate, along the way. Uh, it's been a lot. It's, it's hard. It's, it's I was actually talking to a friend yesterday about it. I didn't even think about it being like coming up for fourteen years in Australia, and the fact that you were in Melbourne for eleven years, mm. like that's most of my adult life, and. I don't even have a Scottish accent anymore. I just oh. I've, I've acclimatized. I'm, I'm, I haven't I haven't learned to swim yet, but that's for next you're year. Mates with Bob Catter, mate. That's you're done. You're an Aussie. Mm. Yeah, best mates. Mm -hmm. So gone up there for Christmas. So there you go. Right. So, it's going, Bob, it's but, but, well, I'm just going to ask one more thing before we go, because uh, it was one thing that I was quite disappointed by at the outset. Why you why you don't like haggis? Yeah. What about what about black is black pudding okay? Did, didn't, I, not... didn't I bring in haggis into the office once? 
you brought Iron Brew in. I'll yeah. never forget that. That was good. You were trying to explain to us this stuff called Iron Brew. And I was like, mate, what are you talking about? Um, no matter, I, I don't mind a black pudding. The black pudding's all right, but haggis, no. You said no straight away. No, it was a very, very specific, not interested in the haggis side, but black pudding's all right. Yeah, no, happy with the black pudding. A a good friend of mine um, is a chef at a cafe in Melbourne, and she makes a delicious delicious breakfast that includes black pudding, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, highly, highly rated. So, um, yeah, I'm a convert. And actually, the first time I had it, I did think about you, Andrew, and uh, I enjoyed it, so I didn't text you. Yeah, well, there you go. See, if it was terrible. You would have heard from me. Well, we'll have to. We'll have to get. Have you tried? Have you tried? Through. Have you tried haggis? Uh, once, and I didn't enjoy it. So maybe. Okay. Maybe All right. So at least we, we do at least again. you've tried. No, at least you've tried it. I guess at least there are some that say no, no, thank you, but haven't even tried it. So you'll not get any pudding if you don't eat your haggis. <laughs> <laughs> right up. I like to keep this podcast serious, the two of us. So okay, there's too, there's, there's too much hilarity. Uh, yep. So, time to go. Have a have a good Christmas, Trent. Good weekend, Thank you guys. Don't and do anything uh, I wouldn't do. No. Thanks, mate. Th- thanks for uh, thanks for you know providing me with a business partner and uh, and friend and um and AgWatch's co-host. Uh, don't we'll go, see- don't go that far. I'm not your friend, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you when you got nothing on. Ciao for now. Thanks. <laughs>